And uh, now I'd like to welcome up Danny. He's going to be leading us in a new series. Good morning. You all doing well? Hey, let me, before I jump into uh, what we're, our new series, let me just say that we, uh, with the, with the um, concert on the square tonight, just want to remind you of a couple of things. One is that it starts at 6. Most of the concerts that we've done start at 6.30, because it's, but because it's getting dark a little bit earlier, it starts at 6 o'clock tonight. We are going to have, hopefully, lots of chili. And in addition, uh, Heather mentioned that we're going to have lots of hot dogs. And, you know, you, you've heard of Dime a Dog Night at Clippers, at the Clippers games. These are free. We're going to have chili. We're going to have hot dogs. If you want to buy a, a baked good, a dessert, you know, the, the youth are, are going to be providing that uh, for a donation. But tonight's going to be a lot of fun. Great band. What's that? Bounce House. We're going to have lots of cool things. So join us tonight. It'll be, it'll be a good time for not only the church family, be a good time also just to rub shoulders with the, the folks from the community. So uh, join us there tonight, 6 o'clock till 8 o'clock. Bring an appetite. All righty, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll uh, go ahead and jump right into, uh, into our topic this morning. Father, we, we come to you right now, and, and Lord, we ask for your presence here. Lord, we, we also are mindful of what's going on in Florida right now. We ask for great grace, Lord, mercy, your, your, your presence uh, to be there with the individuals in, in, uh, in Florida. Lord, we ask for safety. Lord, guard lives. We ask for uh, your... your uh, Grace for the various individuals and the property down there, Lord. Won't you show your mercy? Lord, we ask that you would be with us here today, allowing us to, to draw principles from your word so that we can be men and, and women who, who really make a difference in our lives and in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to begin a new series today, and I have the privilege of, of uh, sort of launching it. And the, the series is called Joshua, A Person of Influence. We're going to be looking at this concept of what it means to be a person of influence. We're going to examine that topic through the life of, of Joshua. Now, it's not going to be an exhaustive study of the book of Joshua, because it's only six weeks long. We couldn't do that. It's not even going to be an exhaustive examination of Joshua's life. But what we want to do is take this topic of God's intention, God's desire for us to be men and women who have influence here on this earth, and look at how that occurs. Look at the principles that allow us to be men and women of influence in the life of Joshua. And by a, a person of influence, what I'm talking about is that we can be people who have an effect in this world, have an effect in this life, have an effect on other people, on other people's behavior, on people's attitudes, that we can have an effect on the, the motiva motivations and the, the ambitions of other individuals. So being a person of influence means that we have impact. And that's not just if we want to. Every single one of us are having impact and influence on other individuals just as people are having influence and impact on your life. It could be good, it could be bad, oftentimes it's a mixed bag, but what I want us to be, be thinking about and, and examine through the series, and what we'll begin it today, is to recognize that being a person of influence isn't something that we volunteer for, that we decide on whether or not we, we wish to, to be in that position simply by our existence, simply by the fact that we are here on earth, we are men and women of influence. As I said, the question is whether that influence will be good or bad, or a little bit of both. Whether that influence, that impact that we have is going to be deliberate or just sort of haphazard. There's not a person on this earth that we have contact with that isn't going to 
read something from our lives, out of our lives, just as those that we're around have impact on us. Every single one of us have various spheres of influence. We have influence because of our role in a family as a, as a child or as a parent or as a, a brother or a sister, aunt or uncle. We have influence because of proximity, who you live near. We have influence because of where and how and what we do in our job, in our careers. We have influence all the time. We want to think about that we want to see what the scriptures say about how we should use that responsibility slash privilege of being a man or woman of influence. So that is something that, that is, is important. We can have influence directly and indirectly, but every single life is, is created to have influence. This isn't something that just is a, uh, is a, a matter of truth. This is part of God's wisdom and God's intention that his hand, his fingerprints, as they are left in this world and continue to be uh, planted in this world, that his touch and his influence oftentimes will be enhanced and expressed through our lives. It's God's intention. We are meant and created for influence. There's not one person, even though I think many of us begin to or fall into the trap of believing that there are, there are people of influence here on earth and then there are others of us who just sort of occupy space. Not so. Not so at all. That all of us, as he formed us in, in our mother's womb, long before he formed us in our, others, in our mother's womb, all of us, it says that the foundation of the world, as God had, had us in his heart and mind, he had purposes, he had plans for our lives. It's interesting in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, a, a passage in the New Testament, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, from him, from Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The intentions that God has is that we all are being fitted together, joined together, so that his purposes, his gracious and kind intentions can slice from heaven into this world and oftentimes that's through us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, listen to what it says. You can put that up on the screen as well, Greg. It says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in his body, in his church, most of them, just as he wanted them to be. Right? It's not what it says. It says, but the fact is God has placed the parts in his body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. That God has placed us here on earth. He has woven us together in, into the church. At least that's his intention. So that we can reflect him. It's purposeful. It's planned. And we need to recognize, as I said earlier, that's not just a, a responsibility, it's a privilege that we have. Now, if I was God, and you are so lucky I'm not, but if I was God, I would not think of using people like me, or, or some of you, to reflect who the and what the character of God is. I mean, what a, what a broken vessel. To, to reflect the infinite through, the, through a finite individual. But God not only has chosen to do that, but he accomplishes those purposes through us. You know, one, one way to look at, at the, the purposes of God and how God works in, in regards to this concept of, of influence is that the, the influence, it, it, it happens like one piece in a jigsaw influences those around it. Now, put that first slide up there, Greg. 
You know, in, in a jigsaw puzzle, when you put it together, not every piece touches every other piece. Not every piece has, has direct influence on every piece in the puzzle, but every piece is necessary, every piece is unique, and in fact, as the pieces come together, the, the full scope and intention, when the pieces do come together, the, the reflection of what that puzzle really is, is uh, showing can be better seen. In, in this next slide, you, you see, when the puzzle comes together properly, then you see what is before you. And as God takes us, his intention is that he fits us together. We have influence in the lives of one another, those that we touch, those in our, our sphere, our circle of influence. And that through that, that web of relationships, if you will, Christ can be seen. He can be revealed. And the, the fact of the matter is, when we think about this concept of influence, you can, you can actually take a jigsaw puzzle and you can hold it just from, from the corner, from holding onto one or two pieces, and the whole puzzle, usually if you're careful, careful will be held together just simply because of the connection of one piece with another piece with another piece. So uh, let me just begin, as we, as we lay out this series, we are meant for influence, and as we embrace that, and, and as we're deliberate in our influence, then we see the fullness of what God has intended. Now, in my life, and I'm sure this is true for you, there were and have been many individuals who have had influence. There have been individuals who have had wonderful influence in my life. There are people who have had a horrible influence in my life. There have been lots of people who, who, where it's been a mixed bag. But, but I, I look back at my life and... And really, the, the most influential person, aside from Penny and, and my children, the person who's had the most influence in my life is a man named Gordon Walker. And I think we have a slide. That's not Gordon. That's Gordon. Gordon Walker was a, a, a man. He was a pastor. And I, I met Gordon probably about four or five days after I came into a relationship with Jesus. I was a student at Ashland College, and I had had a dramatic encounter with Christ, which took me by surprise. I don't think it took Jesus by surprise, but it took me by surprise. And, and really, literally, within that first week that I became a Christian, back, this is, this is like 40-some-odd years ago, back in 1971, I met Gordon. And he, Gordon and a, another guy named Ray, they were both pastors, and they had left the, the ministry of pastoring church and started, for lack of a better term, started a, a, a ministry center, a, a commune, if you will, in Mansfield, Ohio. And it was right during the Jesus movement. And, and basically, it was a place where young men and women who were getting saved during the, the Jesus movement could go and begin to learn and could begin to study and, and find out what this life walking with God, walking with Christ was all about. Just a phenomenal context. And Gordon was one of the ones that started that. Gordon was one of the, the uh, individuals that I, that I lived with. I, I think that actually there are a few other. I mean, Elizabeth, you're, that's where I met your mom and dad. And I, I think... Michael, you, you went up there for a while. You, I think you knew Gordon as well. A few others may have known Gordon. But he was a, a phenomenal individual. He had a, a profound effect in my life. And, and the reason why he had an effect in my life was not just proximity, but he deliberately took me under his wing, if you will, and he, he deliberately, intentionally began to not so much teach me with his words, but he began to teach me with his, li his life. I, I lived there uh, at, at, on this farm for about a year, and then he ended up moving to, to Nashville, and he started a, a church and a ministry in Nashville. I lived with, it, with Gordon and his family there. And this whole time, the, the primary way he had influence in my life is just watching him. Just seeing how he lived his life. Seeing how he responded to difficulties. Watching how he walked with Jesus. 
seeing how he pastored, seeing how he responded when he was hurt or offended, and watching him. And though he never specifically said, now this is important, I want you to observe how I'm living my life, but just watching how he lived his life influenced me. I remember one time I was driving him down from Mansfield to Columbus. He used to teach Bible studies here in Columbus. And once a week I would drive him down and we came and, and we had to run some errands before he taught some Bible studies. And, and it, he had this this tape recorder that he had purchased. It was a, a really expensive, one of these old reel-to-reel tape recorders, extremely expensive back then and what it would have been uh, worth if, if, as far as cost today would be phenomenal, but it had broken. The, 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 just a small part, it was actually a, a, um, a band, a... A belt, that's the word. It was a belt that had, had broken. And he, we were going for, week after week, we were trying to find a, a, a belt that would run the wheels inside this, this recorder. And we went to, from place to place to place and couldn't find a, a, a store that carried it. Finally, we went into this one shop and he, you know, he said, here's the part I need, here's the belt I need, maybe you have something similar. And they looked at it and they said, well, no, you might be able to get one from Japan in you know, a few months, but I don't know. And so I remember Gordon, he, he, took the, he, he was sitting there at the counter and he said, all right, okay. And he said, do you have a garbage can by any chance? And they pulled out this big you know, rubber made type can and he took this expensive tape recorder and he went plop. And there it went. And the guy's eyes opened up real big. And, and I, my eyes were open. And I started thinking, oh my gosh, what is he doing? Now, we, we, he said, okay, Danny, let's go on. And the guy pulled it out because I'm sure he was going to fix it right away. But as we, as we left, Gordon said to me, he said, Danny, it's just not worth the angst and the frustration. It's just a thing. And I, I, I don't want all that anxiety to be chasing me around constantly, I don't need it. And I mean, that happened like 45 years ago, but I, I remember it as if it happened this, this morning. It, it had an effect. I was watching not how to deal with tape recorders. I was watching how a man lives in deliberate ways and Gordon's Life was having an effect in that moment. It was having influence in that moment. I don't know if he, if he knew what effect he was having in my life. I, I suspect he did. But he certainly did. And there's not one of us here who isn't having impact continually and constantly. Because we, like Gordon, are constantly being watched. We're being watched by our children or by our parents or coworkers or neighbors or our enemies or friends or, or whatever, but we, we are being watched. This series is going to look at Joseph and his life because Joseph clearly was a man of great influence and try to draw principles that we can apply to our lives. And the first principle I want to draw from the life of Joseph Joseph, Joshua, you're going to just let me do that all afternoon, right? You're just sitting there watching. He's making a mistake. I'm watching. He's having a bad influence. So when we look at the life of Joshua, one of the things that we learn, and this is through inference, not directly, but influence is forged, it's formed in adversity, and by saying that, it's not just that how we deal with adversity has influence on others, how we deal with trials and difficulties, how we deal with brokenness around us and, and within us that has influence, but I believe it's trials and difficulties that form in us the ability to be stronger, more impactful in our influence. It's the brokenness in us and around us that forms something in us that allows there to be something solid and effective. Joshua's life gave evidence to this because Joshua grew up 
for the first 20 years of his life as a slave in Egypt. The Israelites, you remember, the Israelites were taken into captivity in Egypt for 400 years. They lived in Egypt. Joshua was born there in Egypt. Joshua's parents and his grandparents and his great-grandparents and his great-great-great, and you go back 400 years of Joshua's ancestors were all, that's all he knew. Those were the stories that they heard. Being slaves in Egypt, having no freedom, having no prospect in the future other than continuing doing what they had done and their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents had done. Joshua was born into slavery, born into adversity. And as I said, he didn't leave with the rest of the Israelites. He didn't leave Egypt until he was 20 years old. So he understood both in watching his parents deal with the oppression, but he himself experienced the oppression. He likely experienced the, 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 the effect of a whip on his back, the lack of opportunity, the lack of hope, the lack of a future. But in that adversity, in that difficulty, he found things out about himself. Because adversity, oftentimes, difficulties, oftentimes are like a mirror before us that help us to, to know something about ourselves, to see ourselves, to help us to, to, to determine what is it and where is it that we find purpose where is it that we find meaning in our lives? And folks, let me tell you, learning that, learning where we find meaning and purpose in life is one of the most valuable lessons that we need to, to learn. And it's something that our lives will communicate to others. Do we find meaning and purpose in our position, in our role, in our careers? Do we find meaning and position, uh, meaning and purpose in, in money or in stuff? Do we find it in, in earthly pleasures? Do we find it in, in relationships and, and trying to find life and suck the life out of other human beings? Do we try to find it through having good health here on this earth? What is it that gives us purpose and meaning and, and gives us a foundation for life? Adversity allowed Joshua to become clear on what should and did give him meaning and purpose. And those around him watched and, and, and learned something and read his life. And it impacted them. Adversity helps us to know whether we are, are utterly dependent on God or out of, on our own abilities and our own efforts. Adversity helps us to, to come to learn, hopefully, that we are, we are utterly broken as well as dependent on God. Adversity brings, brings strength to our life, character, and perseverance. Listen to what it says in the New Testament about adversity. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Realize James is probably the first book in the New Testament that was written, the first letter that began to be passed around in that early church. And listen to what, what they, they opened to as they started reading James. In this, the first chapter, the second verse, James says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. It's the adversity of living in a broken world that helps to form us. And, in, and that's why I say it's adversity and difficulties and trials, whether they're by our own uh, uh, poor choices 
or just living in a broken world, it's diversity and trial or uh, adversity and trials that form us and build us and allow us to have influence. It allows us to, to find out what the foundation of our life is, whether it's temporal things, earthly things, or whether it's those things that are eternal, that can't be taken away. And one of the pictures that we have in the scriptures of, of, of our lives and how God uses and works in our lives that speaks to this issue, not just of, of adversity and difficulties, but of God's plan and God's purpose, is, uh, is a, a metaphor we see in the scriptures, both in the Old, Covenant, Old Testament and the New Testament, where it, it talks about the potter and the clay. That we are, we are clay, God is the potter. Put, put that first slide up there. That, that's us. That, that's our portrait. We are a lump of clay. But fortunately, we're his lump of clay. That, that makes it different than just being a lump. We're his lump of clay in his hands that he could do something in us. You're not just a lump of clay rolling around this world aimlessly. You're his lump of clay that he is forming for his purposes. That we, as the scriptures say, that we can be useful to the master. That we can be influential. That we can reflect him as he puts us together. But for those of you who have no people who... who uh, what do they call it, throw pots, make things out of clay? You, you, you recognize it, it's a, a pretty vigorous uh, process. Because the, the first thing a potter does when he has his lump of clay is he, he does what's called wedging. And he takes that lump of clay and he smacks it on a board. Go ahead and throw that picture up. And he begins to press down on that and fold it over and press some more and slice it in half and throw it together and press it more. And he might do that for 15, 20 minutes to make that clay pliable, to make that clay useful, to get the air out of that clay so it's solid. And some of you right now are in a wedging process, aren't you? You know, where God takes us and, he, and you can feel him pushing down on us and pressing on us and folding us over and doing it some more. And we think, Lord, what are you doing? And he's saying, I'm making you a man or a woman of influence. I'm forming something, but this is part of that process. Well, after he's done with the, the wedging and the pressing and the pushing and the, the getting the air out and making us pliable in his hands, well, then he, he puts us onto the wheel. You'd see that other, that next slide. He puts us on the wheel and some of the pressing continues, but now we begin to see that for which we've been captured, we, that those things that he's wanting to make out of us. And, and some of us are being made into a vase, and some of us are being made into a, a, a drinking mug, and, and some of us into a pot, and some of us into just who knows what. But each of us are being made according to his design, according to his purpose, in ways that we can be vessels useful to the master. And some of us who he's making into a pot are saying, I don't want to be a pot. I wanted to be a, a vase. And the vase are saying, I didn't want to be a vase. I wanted to be a, a mug. And, the, and we, you know, we grumble because we don't like what the Lord's forming us into. But to be sure, what God is making, how God has formed you and how God has designed you is for a great purpose. He's taking us and shaping us according to his kind intentions. 
So it doesn't matter. You know, some of us are rich and some of us are poor. <coughs> Male or, or female. Some are, are, find themselves highly educated and some have little formal education. Some who are artistic or maybe some are, are athletic and, and some who are, are feelers and some who are, are, are very rational and logical and there are those who are introverts and those who are extroverts and there are those who are good listeners and those who are, who are articulate and good speakers. But let it be known however you intrinsically or life has formed you, it's not just by chance. It's by and according to the purposes of God because he's created us to have purpose, have impact, and have influence. We are meant to have influence. So God forms us. He shapes us. He's designed us so that we can be useful to him, that through his purposes and his design, we can reflect him as we're being fitted together. And then what does he do with this, this uh, pot, this vessel that he's made. Look, he puts it in a furnace. Okay, he's pressed on us, he's molded us, he's shaped us, and now he throws us into the fire. Because a, a clay vessel is not going to have much value, is not going to last, unless it goes into the kiln, unless it goes into the fire, where it's made hard. Joshua is a man who was born on the wedging board. He was born in the furnace. And he lived there. And that's why he had such profound influence for so many generations, not just his own. Influence not only often is forged and formed in adversity, but influence rests on the foundation of faithfulness in the mundane. Just being faithful in doing what needs to be done before us. Faithfulness in putting one foot in front of the others, in front of the other, even though we don't know where we're headed. Faithfulness in the daily grind. After the 20 years at Joshua, lived in the, the, the adversity of Israel and, and captured by Egypt, he spent 40 years with the Israelites, with a couple of million other Israelites, wandering around the wilderness. It was a mundane life. For the most part, it was a boring 40 years punctuated by a about a half a dozen dramatic, powerful encounters with God. We remember the parting of the Red Sea. We remember uh, Joshua being called to go into the promised land and spy it out. We remember Joshua going up on the mountain with Moses to get the, the, uh, the, the, the tablets. We remember Joshua being used to battle the Amalekites. But what we fail to remember is other than those half a dozen or so dramatic moments, there were 40 years from the, from the age 20 to 60 that he spent his time getting the, the sand out of his tent, tending to his flock, taking care of his elderly parents, dealing with Israelites who were grumbling, and, and for those years, from 20 to 60, for those 40 years, being Moses' personal assistant, getting the sand out of Moses' tent, gathering people who had meetings with Moses, taking care of just the daily things of life. Moses, I, Joshua, I guarantee, looked back at the time in the wilderness, as monotony. It was mundane. And the reason why Joshua had such great influence then, 
And, and after, when they finally did enter the promised land, is because there was great faithfulness during that time. He didn't turn to the left or the right. He didn't say, this is just getting a little too boring. He didn't run and chase after something that would fulfill from here on earth. But he was faithful just to be one who depended on God, who followed God, and recognized, even in the monotony of the daily grind, that people were watching him, just like he was watching Moses. That he was able to have influence, not because of the great and grand things he was doing, but just simply depending on God, loving God, loving others, during and in the midst of of that life of, of monotony. We need to recognize that much of our life here on this earth may not be dancing from one mountaintop to another. But we also need to realize that it, it's not in those glorious, powerful times that we generally have the most influence. It's just how we lived out our lives in between. I mean, it, it, when I saw Gordon deal with a broken tape recorder, that had influence. It wasn't the high point of his life, but it had influence on me. How he lived with his family, how he dealt with others, it had an influence on me. And perhaps the greatest influence that we will have in this life, again, it's not during these moments that, that we tend to look forward to and remember so vividly. It's just how we live day after day and how we walk with our God. You know, Joshua, from everything we can read and infer, Joshua is a pretty powerful guy. It's interesting that when, when, they when Moses was choosing who to send into the promised land to spy it out, to see what was before him, to see what they were facing when they went out of the wilderness into the promised land, they sent 12 men one from each tribe of Israel. It says in Numbers 13 that from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun, was the one that was chosen from that tribe. Well, Hoshea, we read in verse 16, was actually Joshua. Verse 16 in chapter 13 of Numbers, it says, these were the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hoshea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. He changed his name. What's interesting about that is Hoshea means salvation. I mean, I, I, I'm reading, I'm inferring in this, but not too much. Joshua is probably a fairly formidable fellow. He was probably strong. He was the captain of their armies. He, he became the captain of their armies. His name was Salvation. And I, I have the hunch that when Moses picked Joshua, everyone started to cheer. Okay, Joshua, yeah, send him in with those other 11 spies. Send Joshua in. He, he's our guy. Look at how big he is. Look how strong he is. Joshua, our, I mean, uh, Hosea, our, our salvation. And Moses said, wait a second. I'm changing his name. It's not going to be salvation. I'm changing his name to Joshua. Joshua which means God is our salvation. He wanted the, it to be clear that the hope wasn't in, in ourselves. The hope was with, was with God. That our influence doesn't become because of how, how formidable we are, but it becomes, our influence comes from how dependent we are, how much we do realize our dependency on God. Our primary, the primary influence that Joshua had came out of and because of his being faithful, tending flocks, gathering manna up every morning. 
And just like Joshua, those things that in our life that decades from now are going to have impact on others, on our children, our friends, relatives, neighbors, aren't the things that we imagine should or would have influence. It's going to be how we function as we're fixing that dryer that broke again, or when the person cuts us off on the road, or when we're changing diapers, or going grocery shopping, or, or playing tea party with a, a, our daughter or our grandchild. It's how we're living in the daily grind. That's, that's when we're having the most influence. And influence, let me say this, influence primarily is expressed through our lives, not through our words. Think about those who have had influence in your life. Was it in watching how they lived? Or is it when they sat you down and, and deliberately taught you something? The influence of parents. If you had parent, well, all of our parents had influence, good or bad. But was the influence because of those times where they, they had a family meeting, those dreaded family meetings, and, and tried to, to tell you something and teach you something? Or was the influence just in how you observed them living their lives? Who is it that has had the most influence in your lives? Was it the people who stood before you and spoke? Was it, was it politicians? I mean, they have position. They have had influence in our... No. The people that shape us, the people who have had the most influence on our lives are the people that we get to watch live their lives. Where there's relational connection. It's not our words. And those who have had influence, good influence in our lives are often the people who saw us when perhaps nobody else saw us. Men and women, let me say it this way, men and women who have influence are, are men and women who oftentimes can see those who feel they're invisible, who, who feel like no one sees me. The person who is eating by themselves every day at work. The neighbor that is just isolated and alone and not part of the inner circle of that neighborhood. But yet when they are seen by somebody, then all of a sudden, if you're the one that sees him and you're the one that notices him, you become a person of great, great influence. Moses had influence in Joshua's life because Moses saw Joshua and called him to walk with him. We need to ask ourselves, who, who do we see that may think they're invisible? Just like who saw you when maybe no one else saw anything in you that, that was noteworthy? I mean, this is how Jesus had had influence, isn't it? He saw Zacchaeus up in the tree. He saw the, the woman who had lost her son and was going to the, to the cemetery to bury him. He, he saw the, the, the woman who just touched his robe. He saw the woman at the well. He saw the children that the apostles wanted to push away. He said, no, let them come to me. He saw people who thought they were invisible in that culture. A centurion, enemy soldier, if you will, who was occupying Israel. He saw the centurion. And each time he saw someone who was invisible or shunned or pushed to the side, the influence that Jesus had in their life was, was expanded so much. So let me finish up by asking us two questions. What does our life say as people are watching us? Because people are watching us all the time. What does our life say? Does it say that my hope is in God and not myself? Does it say my foundation is not in the things of this world that I'm trying to gather up, but on the, on the purposes and the plans of God? Does our, our, 
lives say that I know that I'm broken. But I know that God is good. I know that I stumble, but I know that, that God can forgive. What does our life say? And the second question is, what does your life say about the way we do walk with God? As people observe your walk with God, does, does your life say that it's just a matter of keeping rules? I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, and that's, that's all they hear us talk about, what we shouldn't do, or maybe what they shouldn't be doing, or what the culture shouldn't be doing. Or when they see and watch our walk with God, do they see humility? Does our life tell other, others that walking with God is, is just a, me and him, just a lone ranger issue? Or does our life say it happens in community? Or does it say that our life with God happens in community and really that's what it's really about, just joining a, a, a religious club called church? But God is sort of, he's far away. What is our life telling people? Does our life tell people that, that the normal Christian life is just learning information? Or does our life say to other people, it's learning about him. It's getting to know him. Does our life really reflect what Paul says is to be the normal Christian life, which is that simple and pure devotion to Christ? And when we fall, which we will, it's getting back up, knowing we're forgiven, acknowledging it to those who saw the fall, and saying, that's not what I want to be, that's not how I want to walk but I'll get back up and I'm going to continue to pursue the one who has apprehended my life. We get to be men and women of influence. Why don't we stand up? Here's how I want to end. Every single one of us is created for influence. Every single one of us are being watched just like we watch other people. And our life is communicating something. And the, the key isn't, are you doing it well? The key is, are you doing it deliberately? Because we already know we're not going to do it real well. We're going to fall. But even in our stumbling, we can reflect something of truth. A humility to, to acknowledge our brokenness and a desire to pursue the one who does establish us because our strength isn't within ourselves. We need to decide whether we're going to be deliberate in our desire to be men and women of influence or just haphazard. If it happens, it happens, and who knows what they'll read. And here's what I want to do to end. I'm going to just simply take a time where we can, the, the biblical word used is consecrate, separate, set ourselves aside for that purpose. Say, Jesus, I'm not sure how I've been doing so far, but I want to give myself or my marriage or my family or my friendships to you, Lord, to take hold of and to tell something of who you are. I want my life to deliberately make a difference. Lord, I want to be a person who sees those who think they're invisible. And even in by doing that, have influence for you in another person's life. So I'm going to come to the front. I invite any of you or all of you or none of you to join me and just set ourselves aside, consecrate ourselves as individuals, as couples, as families, as a church to say, Lord, let us, let me be that person of influence. Does it make sense? So join me. We're going to finish up here just with this last song. If you'd like to come to the front, feel free to do that.
way that we constantly are, are taking it back but Lord we, we set ourselves aside once again and say Lord here we are here I am take me and shape me and mold me work in me Lord through good times and through difficulties that, that my life could reflect you that my life can have impact that my life could have influence Lord, I, I don't know what that will look like. I don't, I don't know what I'm having for lunch today. But I do know that you can use my life to impact others, to be influential, whether I'm an introvert or an extrovert. Lord, you can allow my life to tell the story of a simple, pure devotion to you. So Lord, come. Come take hold of me. Come take hold of my family. Come, Lord, take hold of this church and make us men and women of influence. Influencing brothers and sisters in this church. Influencing those in our neighborhoods influencing someone who's eating chili next to us tonight, however and wherever you want. Lord, let our actions, and occasionally our words, impact others, point to you, reflect your kindness, your goodness, your mercy, your peace. Come, Lord, and have your way in our lives in this church all of God's people said amen now we get to go and do that and when we stumble he picks us right back up and says let's continue on so I'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock we get to influence one another we get to influence those who will be there from the community we get to eat lots of chili and got lots of hot dogs 6 o'clock tonight you don't want to miss it. God bless you guys. Thank you.